This afternoon I preach you the Word of God as it is summarized, confessed by the church in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 32, that's page 548 in the Book of Praise, if you'd like to read along. You can see it's the third part. We've spent several months looking at all the work that our Lord Jesus Christ has done to save us, which is then summarized in the first question. Lord's Day 32, the church confesses, since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone, through Christ, without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image, so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits, and he may be praised by us. Further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruit, and that by our godly walk of life we may win our neighbors for Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? By no means. Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Young Adults Study Society, Young People's, is just wrapping up their study on the book of James so they can add in the details. But I think they would agree with my conclusion that one of the major themes in the book of James is that the Spirit leads Christians to focus less on just talking and more on doing. God wants us, chapter 1 of James, God wants us to persevere in this life not only by saying the right things, but by doing the right things. When things are tough, says James in his first chapter, we are told then to recognize our sinful desires, our sinful weaknesses, to pray sincerely, to trust in God and in his grace, to wait for him because he is the only one who can give us good gifts. The Holy Spirit even says in James 1, verse 20, he urges us to live the righteous life that God desires and explains that by keeping ourselves pure from the pollution of the world, getting rid of anger and hurtful speech, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, no matter what his or her social status may be. At the end of the day, Chapter 2 emphasizes that bitter envy and selfish ambition, to quote James, are of the devil. But true Christianity can be seen by the works that we do. James says the famous words, faith without deeds is dead. And he says again, wisdom is shown by a good life and deeds done in humility. And in that context, James chapter 4 comes pounding through. And I preach to you the gospel of the transforming work of the Holy Spirit under the theme that we can read in James 4 verse 5, that God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. We'll see three 
parts of this verse that this is serious. God is envious, and the call, let's be pious. We just read through James 4, then you can get the a sense of the urgency of the gospel, of our faith. We prayed for the persecuted Christians. They are being persecuted for a reason. They're holding on to the love of the gospel. The love of Jesus Christ even then drives the Holy Spirit to ex exclaim when he sees people turning away from him, he says, and that's in verse 4, very strong words to read, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And James explains, he says, you, you think that quarrels and fights are just normal because everybody in the world is doing it, and that often happens even among children in the schools. We have arguments and we have quarrels and fights, and we say, well, we're just kids but James tells us it's worse than that. God sees that as murder, as covetousness and idolatry. That's the spiritual adultery that we read about in chapter 4, verse 4. When you are proud, says verse 6, God is opposed to you. When you embrace the devil's philosophy and you laugh, that's that comment about mourning instead of laughing. People were laughing about their sins, making light of it in their complacency, when they were then speaking evil against their brothers at the same time and condemning the law of God as overly harsh and fundament, uh, fundamentalistic, then says James in verse 12, you are condemning the lawgiver and rebelling against the eternal judge who is able to save and to destroy. We read James 4, we see the way we live our lives is important. It has eternal consequences. And when the results of living in sin are highlighted so powerfully as they are in James 4, we can see the importance of repentance, of faith, of a good life, good works in the Christian life. And the church then confesses in, in reaction to passages like James 4, but you can notice the, the footnotes at the bottom of question and answer 87 in, in several different passages that those who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent, that just means that people don't want to repent, they, they cannot be saved. And so quoting directly from the New Testament epistles, we confess that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like shall inherit the kingdom of God. It's quite the list. And the list makes us think very carefully about our own lives. It's reflecting the Ten Commandments. And when we have a list so carefully itemized, it's easier to, to look at how we are really living our lives, how we are really relating to others, how we are really carrying out our business. And so this list, this itemized list prevents us from just talking about sins in a very general way as if they are a philosoph philosophical concept that we don't really see 
or struggle with in our own lives, we often fall into this trap and when we have Bible studies and conversations and we talk about sins as if they are something out there, but it's not really our character, maybe it's part of our culture, not to, to speak personally about our own struggle with these things. While the list helps us think and the Holy Spirit leaves no questions for those who do not repent from a lifestyle, from persisting in sins of unchastity, of idolatry, of adultery, of stealing, of greed, of drunkenness, slander, or robbery. The Bible says such people will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not have eternal life in heaven with God. This is serious. And if we are holding on to these sins, if we are living in friendship with the world, this afternoon I cry out to you with the urgency of the Holy Spirit in James 4. Please repent. Please hear the warning. Please stop deflecting the question to others. Please stop saying that you don't need any help. Please understand the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on all who do not repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And we say that knowing that the Lord knows how hard it is to fight, to struggle against these sins, to confess our own weakness. And he knows how weak you are, how weak we are. He knows that we are often swept away by temptations. We can have a lot of reasons and excuses and explanations for our behavior. He knows how we are often distracted by our own desires. He knows how we are forgetful of God's revelation. He knows how weak we are, but he also isn't asking you to overcome these things in your own strength. He doesn't need you to be in control of everything first before you come to him. The call of the gospel is extended to those who, who see this weakness and who humble themselves before the Lord. The call of the gospel to all those who do not know Jesus Christ and his grace, whether you are a visitor today or even a member of this church with a hard heart clinging to secret sins, the call of the gospel is to come to God, to confess your sins and weaknesses before him and find forgiveness of sins and new life. The gospel message is that God gives grace to the humble who come to him in weakness and dependence he gives grace to those who let go. His arms are open to receive you, and he grants his spirit to everyone who comes to him in Jesus Christ. When you come to him, the promise is clear. You will be able to be safe, to find peace. And that's because God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. God is envious. We find that teaching in James 4, verse 5. James 4, verse 5, where we read, 
Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit he has made to dwell in us? And if you have a, a different translation, you'll notice that this text has been translated and explained in many different ways. First of all, you'll notice that James tells us the Scripture says that God yearns jealously. But yet, when you look for the text that he is quoting, you will not find it written out exactly in the way he words it here. That is because James is referring in a more general way to the teaching of Scripture in the second commandment that reveals that God wants his covenant people to worship him with all their hearts, with all their souls, with all their minds, with all their strength. James 4 verse 5 also tells us that God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Yet the original language doesn't allow us to be certain whether the little s should be in lowercase, referring to our spirit, our lives, our desires, breathed in by God, or if the s should be in the uppercase, referring to the Holy Spirit, who dwells in the hearts of believers ever since Pentecost. Perhaps this verse is written in this ambiguous way, so we don't need to choose between the possibilities. We can understand the text to mean that God is yearning jealously for the work that the Holy Spirit is doing within us and in our spirits. Now, however you choose to translate it, James 4 verse 5 is very clearly revealing to us what God wants, what God desires to see, whether through his spirit or his spirit acting on our spirits, he wants his children to walk with him with all their hearts, with their lives dedicated to him. He is yearning jealousy for our spirit. He is envious. It sounds strange to say that God is envious or that he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us. The children here, well, they, if you ask them if it's okay to be envious or to be jealous, what's the answer that you would give children? You, you would say, no, you're not supposed to be jealous. We're not supposed to be envious. And, and why does it say that God is a jealous God in the second commandment? And the children are correct that they do not serve God if they are envious, and no one is serving God if they are living with jealousy in their lives for the gifts and the privileges that others have. We're called to be content, right in James chapter 4. He is, the Holy Spirit warns against coveting and other sins that can uh, lead you, uh, that it can lead you into. But God's jealousy is a completely different jealousy. You see, God is perfectly full. He is perfectly whole in himself from all eternity. He doesn't need or desire anything more for himself from any creature he has made. Rather, God yearns jealously for the fullness of that which already belongs to him. God is jealous for your well-being. He is jealous for your happiness. He is jealous for your peace. He is jealous for your life 
And he does not want to see anyone take that away from you because he has given it to you. He loves you intensely. He yearns jealously for your whole spirit to be dedicated to him. Because when a person is trying to be in the kingdom darkness in the world, as we read in James 4, and in the kingdom of light at the same time, he or she is not really with the Lord at all. And when we consider how serious it is to live in enmity to God, it is a very rich and, and a wonderful comfort to know that God wants to save us from this danger. He is envious for our souls. Not just a part of us, but our, our whole being. He is envious that undivided love that he also causes to dwell within us. And that's important for us to know, again, because we often get pretty discouraged by our own weaknesses, by the strength of our sinful nature. We know very well that if it depended on us, we would probably succumb to the temptations around us. We often sin against God, and if you look at James 4, verse 17, we do it by knowing the right thing to do, but failing to do it. We are very well aware that our sinful nature is strong within us, that there is a conflict within us, as we read in Galatians 5. And as we look at James 4, we can ask the question, how many times have we asked for something because we were coveting, or we prayed with insincerity, or we refused to ask God? How many times have we made decisions that seem to indicate that we love the world more than we love God? How many times have we too belittled the power and the ruinous effects of sins living an, a complacent and uncaring life? How many times have we resisted the Spirit's work within us even as we spoke to those around us? How could it be possible for us to serve the Lord with this undivided love that he is envious for? And then we look at James 4, verse 6. The Holy Spirit says that God gives more grace. There is more grace than the works that he demands. The grace outweighs the demands that he is so envious to see within us for our own well-being. And so we can be absolutely certain that we will be able to walk with him in joy. He is envious for this. He wants to see it. And then he gives us more grace. And brothers and sisters, when you are in trouble, when you are feeling overwhelmed by the temptations, you can pray for this more abundant grace. And you can trust that your heavenly Father will give it to you. Oh, we need to pray for it often, don't we? God, give me more grace. If your earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, says our Lord Jesus, how much more our heavenly Father. He has adopted us to be his children in Jesus Christ. And he gives his children the spirit so that you can become increasingly dedicated to him. Our heavenly Father can be compared to parents who have adopted children who can never learn to walk 
without the help of their parents. After saving them and guaranteeing them a place in their family, the parents are eager to teach these children to walk so that they can join him, maybe in the garden, looking at the flowers. And so at first, the children were only carried. Then their feet touched the ground a little as their mother or their father's hands are underneath their armpits holding them. And then they even walk with their parents standing behind them for support and, and lifting them up every time they fall. Imagine if you saw that scene. Parents taking their children out every day from, from the front step to, to the fence gate and then, and then back again. What do you think the parents' answer would be if you asked them, since you saved your child by grace and made her a part of your family without considering her ability to walk, why must she walk now that she knows how? That's the nature of the question of the catechism. So what would you say? You would probably say something like, she doesn't need to walk to remain in our family, and her walking will not make me love her anymore. But now that we're helping her and teaching her and carrying her along, and she knows how to take some steps, she really wants to walk and to be able to do more things together with us. In the same way, God's earnest desire for us, his amazing grace to us, and his Holy Spirit who dwells in us makes us eager to do good works, to, to walk with him, to spend more time with our Heavenly Father. His grace makes us say, let's be pious. With a list of commands in the latter verses of chapter 4, James makes it very clear that when we are transferred out of darkness to light in Jesus Christ, we are also then set on a journey, on a process of sanctification, being made more and more holy. We'll see more of this next week. This journey includes both resisting evil, says James 4, and deciding to do what is right in recognition of the holiness of God. When we do good works, it is because of God's grace and God's spirit within us. And every good thing we do or say or think, it's a result of his will for us. The Apostle Paul says it so clearly in Philippians 2, verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And again in Ephesians 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God yearns for the victory of his spirit as it is in conflict with the sinful nature that remains within us. He will renew your heart. He will change your desires. He is in the process of doing that and we may begin to walk with our Heavenly Father. God made men and women to do exactly this already in the beginning. Obedience to the law is simply living in the way 
that God made us to live. God's grace doesn't take us away from his law, but it brings us into obedience to the law again because that is the place where we are most blessed by our creator. And remember, he is envious for our well-being, for our joy, for our peace. God's grace makes us share in Christ's righteousness, his obedience, so that in him we may be restored to the harmony and the peace of the world before the fall into sin, when everyone desired to love God and his or her neighbor in their work, in their relationships, and in their worship. That's what we confess in Lord's Day 32, Christ having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his spirit to be his image, to be the image of God. As Christ showed his love for the Father by obeying the law, so also now we can show our love to the Father by obeying the law. Technical difficulties. So what does the word pious mean? Sometimes people make it sound like it's to be religiously showy. And so they say, who wants to be pious? Like a bunch of Bible thumpers. But the word pious doesn't just mean showy. Being pious means being godly, acting like our Lord Jesus Christ in a down-to-earth way. Although we may resist him sometimes, the Holy Spirit helps us to imitate Christ in the way we speak to our husbands, in the way that we speak to our wives, in the way that we treat our neighbors and our co-workers with respect and with gentleness as we speak honestly to the glory of God. It's like that wedding text that many of us could reflect on this past Friday, Colossians 3, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, God is praised when Christians stand out in the world for their piety. Because thankfulness is much more than just mere words, just saying thankful, thank you. Thankfulness is trusting that God's way is right and submitting to the guiding hand of the Holy Spirit who speaks to us through his holy word. When we don't want to covet when we don't want to allow our selfish passions to cause us to, to murder another, that can even be in, in just the way we speak to them, when we don't want to live in unchastity or adultery, that praises God. He is praised because and through our kindness, through our gentleness, through self-sacrificial love, through purity, through generosity, through self-control, patience, and peace. Those are things that come from the Spirit and not from our sinful nature. 
Only God can make fallen creatures do beautiful things. And our congregation, well, we're a work in progress, aren't we? We say and do many things that actually show that often we are resisting the Holy Spirit. But rather than praise the victories of the devil by focusing on our failures and biting and devouring one another and, and perhaps even getting disappointed, let us praise God this afternoon for his more abundant grace. Do you realize how amazing it is that we gather in worship two times on a Sunday to sing and to worship God and to hear his word proclaimed, to give our offerings to him. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. You know that because people who don't believe in God in their hearts, they often stop going to church as the first sign. Or how can Reformed churches all over the world hold on to biblical principles of worship and government that have been held to the church by the church since the ascension of Christ Jesus if it was not the author of those same scriptures who was leading them? Isn't it amazing that the statistics concerning divorce, and bad language, and laziness, and lies are much different among sincere followers of Jesus Christ than they are in the world, or even among people who call themselves religious but actually think there is no God in their hearts? Do you think it is normal for a group of believers to gather together and to pay for Christian education for their children when they can get all the same papers by simply submitting to the state ideology system for free? Think of all the time and the money invested in organizations like ARPA or CARDIS or We Need a Law or Rehoboth or the Food Bank or different pregnancy care societies. What drives us to spend millions of dollars a year to proclaim the gospel, to train pastors in other countries if it isn't the Holy Spirit himself? Did you know that our congregation alone don donated over 100,000 last year just in charity organizations? And that's just the official count through the budget and through deacons. I'm sure there were hundreds of thousands more through our own personal donations. That is evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit on a whole new level. It can be seen. Now, we don't say this to brag or to boast or to think we are so great, but like everything, we do it for the glory of God. Look at his power. Look at how he changes our priorities. But if we are saved by grace alone, and without any merit of our own, why are we doing these things? They won't save us. We don't need to do them to be saved. Why are we doing these things? Do you know why? Because God yearns jealously over the spirit he has caused to dwell in, in his church so that we want to embrace the restoration of life in Jesus Christ. We want to imitate the righteous one, Jesus Christ. 
even if it doesn't help us even a little bit to get into heaven. He carried us. He helps us to take steps. He picks us up when we fall. He, he looks upon us with, with over an overabundance of love and joy and delight even when we are weak. He holds our hand and we simply want to walk with him and praise him with our whole life. Why must we do good works? Because faith always expresses itself in love. Galatians 5, verse 6. And our gracious God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has placed in our hearts. May he receive all the glory and the praise forever and ever. And may he help us to be firm and sincere and humble and steadfast in our love. Amen.